Hello. I'm going smileys. Um, alas, no, no alcohol today. So, we're... I'm going to cut to the chase. We're discussing chapters 13 and 14 of Portrait of Darkness with Steven Erickson. If you haven't watched our summary episode, it was like two hours long, depressing, dour. We're going to try to change the mood now. So, hello, Maura. Are we going to... Yeah, highly. Are we going to change the mood now? Is that I mean, I plan? hope we are. I'm yeah, tired of feeling dour and down. Yeah, we don't have alcohol. That's really why. So, yeah. uh... If you've not read these chapters, they're a ride. I don't know why you're here if you haven't. But, no, um, no, if people have not read the chapter, I think they're quite smart. So, I agree. With I'm inclined discussion. to agree. Yeah. So, uh, rapid quickly TLDR of, um, you know, chapter 13, basically, Gadaspala finds a bunch of bodies, thinks a lot. Um, and then basically, the rest of the chapter is either Ivis thinking and slash war dreaming or Envy, Spite, and Malice destroying Dragon's Hold. Uh, and then 14 is what? 14 Basic, is... Well, just summarize. Basically, the attack on Anna's house. And that's about it. And also, Gadaspa yeah. thinking a lot more again. Because, uh, and then finally going blind. going blind. Oh, and then also Narad happens. But yeah, Narad is part of the... Whatever. So yeah, but if you've read these chapters, you probably don't need us to explain exactly what they are. Um, so, without further ado, then uh, let's get to our main protagonist, which is Kadaspala. Easy, easy, the main protagonist. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Now I'm stirring. Now I'm stirring the pot. Um, so I think, obviously, right? We know from the prologue that from the, not not the prologue. That's like pedestrian. It's an the prelude. Yeah, it's yeah. an epic poem. The prelude that uh, there is no protagonist to the story because there are no singular tales, right? So, Galan basically told you there will be no protagonist, but the closest thing we have to a protagonist, much like I don't know, the Book of the Fallen has Tavor Paran, or I guess more accurately, Fiddler. Um, it's not a single character and so on and so forth. We're not getting into that. The point is, like, we have a lens character through which to view the, um, the story and its themes as they explore, are explored. In the Book of the Fallen, for the most part, that is Fiddler, right? We spend a lot of time in his POV, exploring themes, viewing characters. In this book, it's uh, Kadaspala. Um, it's different because we know of Kadaspala from Told the Hounds, and we know how his story ends. We don't know how Fiddler's story ends. I don't know how much different we that do. would be. Sort you... of. Well, we do now, but we didn't at the start. You know, like when you read Garden to the Moon, he was just some nameless dude that came up oh, like, oh yeah, yeah, by the way, no, the place yeah. is burning. Um... Imagine how different the Book of the Fallen would be if you saw a fiddler fishing like 60 years old, and then like, I'm going to tell you the story of how all this all began, and then go through the entirety of Guardians of the Moon. But that's not what he does, so they're different because we know how Kadaspal ends up, we know how his story must end up, uh, but we don't know how it ends up there. So, uh, needless to say, yeah, yeah. This one thing, because this is Malazan, mm-hmm. just because we saw Kadaspala being blind and unhinged and sort of lost it in Told the Hounds, it doesn't really mean that that's what is going to happen in Forge of Darkness. Nothing has to track. That's what well, I'm trying to say. I don't agree necessarily. I think. See, there might be thematic continuity. But mm-hmm. there need not be things like 
you know, details like him saying that he was killed by Draconis because he tried to steal the sword to attack Wraith. I don't think that that's the type of story we're going to see. Have you seen that? We don't seen that, right? No, 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 not yet. Uh, we know that Kalaspa uh, has to stay in like a cell beneath Gorgalain, Wogatreda. But I, what I, I mean I'm is, I'm going to bring this up each time we mention that. I feel that is a metaphorical jail. I don't think that Erickson meant it like you know, like an actual cell or something. I thought he meant that he caught hold of these two characters and with them he's going to build. walk in shadow that's the way i understood it when we spoke to him so each time you say that at least mentally i go no 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 it's metaphorical it's okay it's a metaphor uh, <laughs> for dragonver but no what i mean is you can't divert too far from the i'm going to go on a big limb like a thousand ago the established mythos now feel free to read um <laughs> like Karasmala somehow eventually has to end up in Dragonbar or at least blind. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like so true, we know yeah. that has to happen eventually. We don't care about the deal. We don't know how how or why or whatever. We don't know if like Rake kills him or if Draconus kills him or whoever kills him. But he has eventually to become blind and something must happen to his sister or something of the sort for which he blames Rake. Or if not necessarily but you know these things have to eventually transpire be it in this book or the next or the third um so with that aside uh let's talk about why in my opinion anyway kadaspala is um the lens through which god damn it the lens through which uh galan explores horde of darkness so do you have any thoughts on this matter before i go yeah i think you can off. just go because yeah So, do you recall? Oh, God, God damn, damn it damn again! It. Do you recall our introduction to Gadaspalenus in Forge of Darkness when he's painting Urusander and mm-hmm. being a total—I don't know—the the best way to describe is being a bitch about it. He's like, "I think this the light is falling and the candles are burning down and Mother Dark is stealing all the light and the whole thing." Yep. And then he yep, shouts yep. at Hunral. Like stop disturbing me and all that. Yeah, that, that mm-hmm. that's a fantastic scene. I I remember that. Yeah. And um, then they discuss from, over dinner. They talk about yep. loss yep. are a form of oppression, and Karaspala, Karaspala is like you know the modern man. He's atheist. Yeah. He believes in equality. He doesn't care about societal niceties. He has ancestral thoughts, but he keeps it to himself. So, I don't know. It's, He's transplanted from 2023 and put in Kuralgalin. <laughs> yep. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So something um, specific you wanted to ask me about that? About his first? No, no, no. Just um, to get more specific, you know, we have what themes does Kuralgalin tackle through his uh, arc from chapter two where he appears to here where he blinds himself. we brought up you know painting and art and how that makes him feel dark thoughts and stuff um his conversation with Alexander on like the nature of law and what laws are and how justice should be meted out a lot of talk on faith especially in the last two chapters 13 and 14 like a lot of talk on faith um you know sorry before i forget i think yeah I, this is what i was trying to get kadaspala is woke can you say he's woke Please go on. Sorry. Yeah, he's been thinking about gods, 
Um, oh, are you? Okay. I'm, I'm okay. I'm like spin up here trying to give a solid answer to a joke. I'm not sure. Maybe. <laughs> See, because, he believes yeah. in actual equality, and he actually goes and spends time with deniers. He knows their art, mm-hmm. and he actually like I've not seen any other character talk about. They just look at die like the ones who think of deniers as people. They just see them as people. He knows more than that. He tells all these things like they live in. Rai percipients and things like that. You know, he has an in-depth understanding of the deniers as people and their art. And he he's sad that it's all lost because they burnt down the huts. So he's woke. I guess he is. So yeah. It's uh, our closing statement. I want to grasp for that he is woke, and uh, it really contrasts very effectively against how fucked up Girl Galene is, because Girl Galene is like not woke. It's the definition of not woke. <laughs> In a very screwed up sense, not even the sense of like not being cognizant of social inequity because they're not, uh, but except, also having it in, in yeah. yeah. Except Hish, but that's still yet to come. Oh yeah, I mean, certain individuals are definitely cognizant of the whole thing, but the whole class of highborn as a whole isn't. Right? Yeah. We brought this up on the summary about like how Junia was forgotten. Like I know it's like a tragedy, but like Junia, whatever, she's just a denier chick, whatever. Who cares? Um. And yeah, we have Hish, we have here in Aspala, we have to an extent someone like Elgas Rand, who is a bit cognizant of the mess of, you know, misfortune and misfits among people, who, you know, isn't exactly, doesn't, that train of thought doesn't lead to the best results, since his result is like, yeah, we have to put them to good use, you know, they're, they're useful in society, we shouldn't <laughs> outcast them, they're still useful. Um, Hish, you brought up, yeah, but overall, on the whole, you're not going to have someone like Anamander go on and say, yeah, actually, I'm going to stand for the deniers. I'm going to make, like, you know, I'm going to stand before them. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. It takes him, like, what, a full book before he gets to, like, actually go to Narad and says, hi, I want help. Oh, does he do that ultimately? I yeah, in Fall of Light, when Kaladan eventually speaks him into it, when Kaladan imparts wisdom onto Anamander. But... Um, I remember about Rake is him just, like, mucking around in the forest. Yeah, around, I mean, doing yeah, 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 yeah. So, to conclude our talk on because, yeah, you know what? I like that word. Kandaspala is indeed woke. He is the woke lens through which to view <laughs> of darkness. So. You know why I like him a, a lot more? Because he's outright atheist. You don't have many mm-hmm. people like that in Malazan, especially because, you know, they have actual gods. So, when he says that first line, that Kandaspala doesn't believe in gods, like it's not that he doesn't believe in the existence of gods. He doesn't believe they're up to any good, right? Because he ultimately... What does he conclude in his monologue? What does he think about the god behind all gods? Oh, that, there be, that he's mad, right? Uh, yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Do you want to get to that? Why not? You're, I'm sure so, you have something... Yeah, so what yeah. I'm used to just said is not exactly atheism. It's a different term. It, it's the same thing, really. But when someone knows that gods exist, but they're not like deserving of being worshipped there's some certain word to describe them because atheism believes that i don't remember what it is it's it's something to do with like it's some greek rooted word i don't remember now um obviously it's going to be some greek origin yeah but like atheism posits that gods don't exist or that you don't believe that gods exist because i know gods exist the closest we have because in that universe gods are already present but what i mean is like he's not worshipping them yeah he's not worshipping them in spite of knowing that they exist which is more courageous in a way, right? And also, yeah. um, Kalaspala basically resolves the problem of evil, which is if there exists some omniscient or um, 
all-powerful being that is also all good, why does evil exist? And his position is, no, evil exists because there is no good deity behind that's like all-powerful. The god behind the gods, mad. Which mm. is, um, for a society that is so defined by their faith in Mother Dark to the point where they justify atrocities in her name, that is a very courageous assertment. And it takes... I don't know to what extent I agree with that, because obviously it's symbolic, right? There's no god behind the gods of color, not what he describes. He describes something more general than just like a single deity. I thought it's like all colors are like manifestations of one god, is the way he's seeing it. Okay, so in theological philosophy, so not like necessarily Christian theology, god can mean a lot of things. For some, the god is the universe. So yeah. I'm assuming that Kadaspala refers to a more generalized aspect of god. But the assertion that fact, whatever it is, is mad, is just, it's really profound in a way that you didn't expect from, like, a guy who's just an artist riding a mule, going to see his sister who he loves get married. It's just... Being offered up to being sullied. Not yeah, married. it's just, it's so, it's like the littlest, the smallest things that get pushed into the narrative in these books. Because, you know, you, know, you have you... Mandy, yeah? No, no, yeah, this type yeah, of yeah. thoughts, as you say, from some small-time young artist who has all these other things to do. You're so impressed with it, right? But mm-hmm. this is the type of things we usually hear criticism about. That how can this fellow I mean, have all these deep thoughts? and uh, Especially Grip Galas and think people like Kalaras. Even I, I mean, okay, yeah, all the, all the named POV characters. <laughs> They're actually smart and I, I, I enjoy it. I don't know why people have a problem with Oh, how can these foot soldiers have these deep thoughts? And how can this, you know, poor people think all these things and all that? It's diced level classism, right? Mm-hmm. No, the most obvious answer is it's not them thinking, it's Galan putting thoughts in their minds. No, no, no. But I'm also, not just talking about Karkanas, like even yeah. with Book of the Fallen. Yeah, but I don't, like, it's, it's like a common. Yeah, discounting such individuals for not being able to articulate what they mean is very, you know, iffy. Because there's nothing stopping them from... Because, for instance, I don't have the technical vocab for a lot of things, but everyone at some point in their lives, everybody, will ponder such big questions. You may not be able to posit it in like, the most articulative words, you know, the stuff that like, treats are made of, but you're still going to ponder it and reach some sort of conclusion. And then you have an in-world author, be it Cameron Salt or Galan or something, that just takes that thought and then articulates it better. So why wouldn't they have these thoughts? Yeah, so yeah, I'm particularly point. impressed with it in Karkanas, especially because in Karkanas takes center stage. In the Book of the Fallen, like someone in the background until like the later back of the series, like book eight, book nine, book ten. Here it is the meat of the series. These little thoughts, these nuggets of like monologues are the meat of the series. And that's just really impressive and, to me. And do you know how that is that affects us as a podcast? Uh, with our structure of summarizing mm-hmm. and discussing. We can't skip any damn thing. <laughs> we, are, we are ending up, you know, summarizing like every single thought these people have because each one feels, first of all, it's written so well. And then we just, we don't feel like skipping anything. And then it, everything adds to the ultimate theme, right? There's no like fluff that we can just, yeah. I feel like I need to remind um that in the last episode, in chapter 13, there is like one paragraph in which Ivis basically describes the 
you know, what I call the tyranny of the discontinuous mind, which is a Dawkins yeah. term, which is, you know, the Deist's uh, inherent desire to categorize everything. That's one paragraph. <laughs> it's like, it's a philosophical idea about which, like, tomes have been written, and he just, like, it like, one paragraph, because, okay, we can draw moats anywhere we like, but nature is just gonna spit on those moats anyway, and just walk over. Who cares? You know, since that thing came up, there have been a lot of bridges in the story. Have you paid attention? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A yeah. lot of bridge imagery has been coming up, and in chapter 15, it continues. Even, like, in chapter 1, you know, with Draconus gifting the highborn uh, bridge. Bridge, you know, yeah. And to bridge the divide between them. It's like a huge... Yeah, it, isn't it? I mean, it's like some like Steve is good at writing. Who knows? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's so these images that you can't skip. The list of like themes which he prepared first before he started writing. There must be a list, right? I, I feel like there should be, but I'm yeah, not sure. Yeah, I, I, that's like one of the questions I wanted to ask. Yeah, I wanted to ask, like, okay, okay, did you come up with them. the ideas beforehand for a chapter? Because like in the epigraphs, right? What you wrote epigraphs for chapters? Yeah, yeah. You had to trickle back with heroes them first. So does yeah. he start off with some idea that he, like he's going to open the chapter with and then circle back at the end? Or does it come naturally? Like, so starts writing and like, oh yeah, maybe I should bring this up and then I have to find some way to tie it back in. So I don't know. Book of the Fallen, it, it has an epigraph and it's kind of distinct. I'm thinking about Karkanas because it sort of, everything sort of starts blending together, right? There's no plot, mm-hmm. uh, what do you call it, distractions here. So it's mm-hmm. just completely theme. So I'm just wondering, he must have thought, right? I'm going to talk, touch upon I mean, God. I hope he does. <laughs> if he doesn't, I have no idea how he managed this. Yeah. But anyway, uh, shall we move on from Gaspola? Because sure. there's a lot more to say. Who's your so, next friend? Um, no boy. This opens up a big can of worms that's going to be tackled up upon more in the next chapter, next week, which is generally the classism present in Galane and the hostage system and highborn versus lowborn and everything, but I'm going to take a very narrow view on this. Um, and of Orphantil? Orphantil is another one, which I have not actually thought yeah, much about. He's not really on this chapter, so I'm not going to talk yeah. about it as much. But the one I want to talk about is, one is Sandalath, who also appears quite a bit and is like massively bored, and the other is Krill, right? And um, in particular, what I want to talk about is the alienation that a hostage feels from their family right because of political gain we learned in earlier chapters with Orphantel and Sugal that only houses of like equal level of equal standing can exchange hostages between them everyone else like a guest of some sort yeah um that being a hostage is supposed to be like a great honor and they're sacrosanct and prescribed and all of that you know like and if a hostage were to die like Sandalaf for instance then whoever took on the responsibility of hosting a hostage, say that, alliteration, huh? uh, would be, <laughs> you know, destroyed both literally and figuratively. Yeah. And they ponder that if Sandalaf dies, not even, like, Mother Dark could save Draconis. Yeah, yeah. That he needs her, but whatever. And there's a very distinct line from Krill, beyond the always of running away from his problems, because the person he's grown up alongside is getting married and he can't come to terms with his feelings. Say that nothing happened. Just they got wedded. Andrist and Anastasia got wedded, and they moved on with life. What next for Kaldurav? Where does he go he next? Thinks, no, he thinks he might join Skara. He might join yeah. Spinak. Because and what else is there for the Kaldurav? Oh, and also he. Uh, I think Jane mentions that he's a second born or 
the last born or something he's he's low down in the inheritance or something so there is not, not much that. scope for him yeah Most their house is on the decline family, yeah, yeah they're yeah. not just on the decline they're basically destroyed the wars they yeah. are such so far down in the decline where like a minor house like the hand may actually take over yeah the yeah. leadership of the drav beyond spinock we don't have another named drav character we have farer who's a hand yeah and that's it more or less spinock like what 20 18 19 Young, really I, I young. Young, yeah. Uh, Kill is and, also the same age, right? He's nineteen. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's all we have. So, where to for Young Krill? Does he go? You know, where? Well, will he find a place to be? And the obvious question is: Did anyone even consider this when they gave him away as a hostage? And, um, but that's the thing everyone is going through, right? Everyone has a hostage system. It's in place, and they've been dealing with it forever. Right. So even if a child is deprived of their own childhood because they don't belong anywhere, that's fine. I'm not saying it's right. Is that a squirrel? <laughs> no, no that's what I'm asking. Like, you had. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm not. You know, can I just tell you about the Game of Thrones hostage system, which is, I think, more historically accurate hostages in that universe? It's usually because some house uh, gets defeated and then mm-hmm. the winning house takes a child or two uh, so that, you know, the losers behave. That's mm-hmm. the whole deal. But they do have to keep the hostage safe. But it doesn't mean that you know, if the ho- I don't know, I don't know if the if it's uh, as big a deal as it's made here in Kurant Galen that if the hostage dies, then it's all out war. I don't know if it if that is the case. But the whole idea is hostage is taken as a sign of submission, just like the Jelek hostages, because it was part of negotiation, right? Mm-hmm. Because the Jelek lost, they had to give up hostages. That's the usual way. But here, I don't know. It's all like. Sandalath can like sit at the head of the table because Draconis is not there and his daughters are still not of age and things like that. I don't know. Now, here in Coral Galen, it's basically a bargaining ship. They're used for political reasons exclusively, right? Hmm. Because the Dura is a house of soldiers. Yes, go on. But isn't that a good thing? Now, because Dura was a hostage here, now he has connections. It, you just accept it. It's a, it's a society full of nepotism. So because NSTI is his like childhood friend and she's also having plans of getting him a you know cushy job inside the citadel and all when, that. So the hostage system do does help these guys, right? What does Quill think of that? Right? He There is, is a monologue. There is a monologue that, about this exact thing. What does he think? That he is not going to end up on some, you know, that being on some honor guard or in the citadel sickens him because he is a soldier at heart. And yeah. so he's going to join Skara because that's where he belongs, right? Not in some cushy, as you mentioned, some cushy, cozy posting. Like Ganos, <laughs> for instance, finds like so, Like it's the exact opposite <laughs> of Ganos Faran. Like, yeah, I want to find some place with Nunta and then we'll be fine. No, it's like, it so alienates much, um... people and it's just accepted as a thing. I'm not going to say that you're wrong for defending it, but this, reason, this line of reasoning of it's been there for so long and it might actually help people. Is exactly what these people are using, that Kurel Galen yeah, is using yeah, to not yeah. actually overthrow the system. So, and therein lies the problem. If they have to stop giving hostages, what is your what is your to alternate like solution adults. to maintain peace? Huh? Sorry, the main thing. Do you need to trade children to maintain like trust? They're used to is this Kurel system. Galen, is Kurel Galen a society that is so low on trust that the only way to maintain one's word is to give away their own children you can't so shame them into political being gain you realize that i can't shame them into being honorable but god damn it they should be 
If this not, is the best thing they could come up with. Yeah. You need to find a better solution. See, always any sort of oppression, any sort of big systemic changes, it has to happen not with a, you know, a blaming mentality. It has to happen with the system is at fault. Let's find a solution. It can't be like you guys are being dishonorable. You guys are idiots for trading children and doing this. It's not going to help. If you need change, you need to all work on the same page that let's not use children. Let's do something else. Is there something else? Let's create economy. <laughs> let's create banks and let's all have a central unionized government and let's all listen to one autocrat who will decide all these things. You know, something. You need you need a system to replace what the, what the existing status quo is. Nobody can be shamed into changing stuff. Sorry. What? Why are you sorry? What? No, because... <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I thought I interrupted you. No, no, no. I mean, I agree. But yeah. that does not take away from the fact that the system sinks. <laughs> <laughs> like lacking a proper replacement does not excuse the fact that the system exists and it is being held up by the status quo because people have just accepted that it does exist. And no one is looking for alternatives. Like, the alternative is being adult. I guess you otherwise would. No. Okay. Just I'll, I'll let me just talk about the example which I see here every day. Okay. Mm-hmm. How do we defeat casteism? Is there a solution? All we are doing is trying to help some weaker weaker parts of the society at the cost of not helping people at the top of the society and things like that. There are things being done, but you know, it doesn't like abolish caste. Whatever steps which is being done here is to maintain this casteism because mm-hmm. it's politically extremely beneficial. All voting yes. happens according to caste lines. So that is the status quo. And you can't like, if you want to change that, nobody can go around and say, why are you guys behaving like this? Like, that is not the way to bring change. It has to work as a system. This system is not helping you, not helping them, not helping anyone. All your children are going to suffer. So the best thing you can do is work towards this goal through these steps. That's the only way any systematic change can be done. It can't be you privileged asses are not helping your un- underprivileged ones and you underprivileged ones are not being resistant enough to go and take what you want. That You can't the, my my same thought you can't shame people into changing stuff not sure if i agree entirely like i, okay, I agree with just it's never worked yeah, because what you're like okay let me put it another way yeah um the onus of the burden or the onus of change should not fall upon those who don't have power to actually make change if i'm just an innocent bystander if i'm just like some hostage dude like 12 years old and i get traded like it's not following me to say guys actually i have a better solution no i can offer up solutions right i can offer up as many as you want okay maybe hypothetically but it still falls on those people that have put the system in place to actually bother changing it that yes but or i you know i or whoever hypothetically like the legion yeah 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 use sure. the force of arms to actually achieve that goal that's called a revolution I'm not going to get into the ethics of whether or not that's a good thing or not, but the point is the onus should not fall on individuals to propose changes and then see those changes through. No, all Highlighting the is, problem. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It, after a point, when these things are so ingrained in a society, after mm-hmm. a point, everybody is a victim of the system. Yes. That's what we need to realize. You can't say just because they are the, the greater houses are the ones trading these hostages, they are the beneficiaries of the system they are also they the are. victims no because what yeah. other what other hope do they have if they stop taking hostages they lose everything no matter how privileged someone is if that is the alternative they are facing why would they bother changing anything 
I think this right. is like the thesis that Kirkonas is offering up, that when a society gets complacent with, oh, we have nothing else, woe to us, and we're not going to seek change because we're all victims of the system. No, you put the system in place. You are directly benefit. Like, that's what Hish thinks later, no? The next chapter, the very next chapter, this is what Hish is thinking. Yeah, but... That no one is cognizant of the problem. Yeah? She ends with, she can see the problem clearly. She herself has a high bond. And she feels helpless. But bullshit. I'm sorry, it's bullshit. No, no, no. People, no, I think if if people <laughs> with money, if people with money and privilege and influence think that the only goddamn way that they can get things done is by dressing up as a bat and going and beating people shitless in the streets, there's something wrong with them, not with the system. I don't know why I brought no. Batman into this, but the point stands. <laughs> no, the point is when they have no other alternative because they grow up within the system. They're not I'm outsiders who are absolutely and... certain that if I actually put their thoughts into it, they could find an alternative. They could, and that but, also this, but they don't. That's the problem. Okay, I think we've deviated a lot away from Karkanas. Should we Presumably. come back? <laughs> but like, that's exactly the problem, right? That, like, yeah, yeah. There is no obvious solution to get out of this. And Mother Dark has put the onus on the Tice to find the goddamn solution for themselves. Because, And um, this brings me to another point, which I wanted to make in general, is Mother Dark, and more so years under a bit later, um, don't and envision a society where they're needed. Yeah. One of the big problems throughout history of, you know, great empires and great statesmen and great men, emperors, women, kings, queens, empresses, whatever, yeah, yeah, go has on. been yeah. that they cannot look further past their own deaths. That their realm and starts and ends with them. Their reforms are not set yeah. in place to facilitate the future. There's very, very few uh, individuals that have managed to look past their own lives and look to the future. One of them was actually Sun Yitzong, I don't remember the name, the father of China. Okay, yeah, okay. Another potentially sort of kind of was Kemal, the father of Turkey. Many, many others have failed throughout history. And those are just like the 20th century. If you go further back, there's pretty much nobody. Uh, Because (laughs) pretty much it's very difficult for someone in power to look past their own failures and think not how can this benefit me and look further like how can i ensure that this stays in power to benefit others or the maximum amount of people in the future and mother dark's solution to this is i'm not going to tell you what to do figure out what works by thinking by not drawing arms by not fighting one another sit down like adults and think who is the system benefiting who is this helping nobody if we turn on the deniers, if we turn on the downtrodden, on the poor, to like disabuse the uh, the privileged few of their wealth, then what are we achieving? Nothing. We just destroy an entire like class of people as scapegoats, and nothing is done. Um, the problem that a lot of Sanders' arc has to deal with is okay, that's great, but how do I make sure that what I say doesn't get corrupted in time? How do I end up having a set of rules, a set of laws, a set of civil conduct that does not end up being morphed, being skewed by ambitious men like Unral? And the short answer is that he can't. Which is a god did we see having the same kind of conduct? Not a god exactly. Sorry? Kovian? No? Salin, Salin, not a Kovian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, every god worth his fault is like that. the reason why... This whole Redeemer thing happens in Told the Hounds as opposed to any other book. 
pretty much. Yeah. And so. Oh God, these are that, such good books. I'm so happy I'm reading all yeah. this. Stuff. Yeah, 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 I mean, <laughs> when it dawns on you, like, these books are really good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to continue my train of thought. Yes, yeah, This is what the Taist can't see. And this is what both the Legion, on the one hand, who are fighting for their own, you know, because of spite, because of their own slights. Grievances, yeah. You know, grievances, whatever. Uh, like, look at Sagander, right? Who thinks, okay, another slight, a thousand slights, or just whatever. Like, people just don't look at him. Right, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Like, and that's, these things compound upon one another. And why? Because the society, the societal structure facilitates such things. But again, I'm going to save this for the, like, the next episode, because especially in chapter 15, which we brought up quite a few times, already has a lot on this. But the point here is that the class structure of Cold Glane is flawed, and no one seems to be willing to actually make the first step to change it. And that is what Galan is trying to warn against with this chapter. It is the culmination, the you know, the most obvious way in which to bring about it. Like this is the length of depravity that these people will get to in order to maintain or wrest away power from one another. Power, which is a notion that Galan has already torn down through Henerald. Yeah. It's meaningless. It's it doesn't matter. You can take it, you can hoard it, but what are you going to do with it? Without other um, characteristics, which Howitt and Corey are exploring, love, trust, um, and a whole bunch of other things. Yeah. The intangible stuff, power and wealth and all of that don't matter. The material world is not as important provided you don't have characteristics befitting um, I lost my train of thought because I lost the technical vocab. God damn it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> what I mean, you know, to so, include yeah. Coral Glane so, sucks because they don't they lack compassion, right? Because that's the point. Like yeah. they don't have compassion, they don't have love for one another, they don't have trust for one another, as we just saw from the hostage system. And the place fucking sucks, certainly, to put it bluntly. Yeah, I wouldn't go there one by two. No, 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 no. Unless maybe maybe once across the Dorsan Rill, maybe once at Karkanas, but like three days, no more than that. Three days? Who do you spend three days in Karkanas doing what? Three days? Not in Karkanas, but like in Kural Galina in general. In general. I don't know, maybe like I the... would probably take a boat ride. Not more than that. Yeah. yeah. I don't want more than that. Probably. <laughs> I'd rather just meet the people. Like, I mean, wouldn't you want to see Spinak? What What's the big deal about Spinak? Don't you? I guess, I guess, yeah. I guess I wouldn't, yeah. yeah. Kill the charge. <laughs> but he's a bit too winning for my taste. Anyway. Um, <laughs> oh, God. So you've been missing Kaplow and Resh, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, they're Are fun. Are they coming back in this book? Yeah, I think so. I'm fairly sure. So. For your sake, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but yeah, so to move on from this, do you have anything you want to bring up? I think... Uh, Nobody would be listening to chapter 13 and 14 without getting to the, the actual... The bad the parts, actual, yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's why we've been delaying talking about classism and hostages and all sorts of stuff because we don't want to get into this. Mm. Though, uh, one more thought. I was just thinking, Supreme could have just split Forge of Darkness into different storylines, right? Because Book of the Fallen had the structure of Book 1, Genebacus, Book 2, Seven Cities and things like that. Here we could have had Azathanai lands, jagged people, and the actual politics at Karkanas. It would have all been split into different books. I think it would have still worked. Because 
I mean, we finished this and we started chapter 14 or 16, I don't know. And all of a sudden we are with Korea and, you know, it's all the fun stuff going on there. And here it's all these people bickering and fighting over land and fighting over who salutes whom and stuff like that. And then mm-hmm. we have Hout just disregarding everything and saying, <laughs> he's Captain Hout. <laughs> I would I would have liked, you know, to have more division between these storylines. I don't know. No? You want my answer to that? Yeah, yeah. So I think the fact that they're not divided is what makes Kirkana special. It's what makes Kirkana stick. Because as we said, we've said from like the prelude, right? That this is not a character-driven story. This is not about the plot. No, 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 no. It's no, about no. the themes. I, no, this is just my preference. I don't care yeah. if I'm wrong. Yeah. You don't care if you're wrong. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying like it would be radically different. You would need to restructure the book. It would work. Like the plot lines are strong enough on the round to work. Maybe just Edison wrote the whole thing and then decided that he would make add a prelude and say, "Oh, I'm going to split it because this is what I'm trying to do here." And I don't know. So Could anyway, fine. But yeah, what I mean, yeah, what I mean is, you you could do that, and I think more than I a few mean, people have I, asked for Dragon Sword I, stories. Yeah, yeah, fine, 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 fine. Don't no, I agree that the theme is what you know what drives this, and so it makes sense. But actually speaking, it's like completely different plots and draconis is basically the only thing which is like connecting the two so but that's okay i'll take it it's fine so do you have anything about narrate which we haven't read in the book so far um man has doubts which kind of for something who has doubts narrate has doubts you know the um the quote about self-respect which we brought up you know it's like this uh this whole chapter and all this it hides so much in plain view. Like, it's unbelievable the things I picked up on this reel. All this, we have, they wear all these denier clothes and just leave the dead bodies there. And it's so easy to manipulate all these events, right? So good. Um, so anyway, I, I really don't have much, anything insightful to add there about Narad's story because it's still ongoing. And I don't remember mm-hmm. much because he's still quite important even in Fall of Light. Mm-hmm. All I know is this NSTM presence sort of comes back and haunts him or something or guides him or he starts worshipping her or something. There is some connection there. So, do you, do you remember and you don't want to clarify now or shall no, we um, The few things I do remember is that Narad becomes the watch, the Yedan yeah. of the deniers from Glyph. Yedan without the Glyph job. is a character. Glyph is a guy. Glyph is... um. Oh, you, you suddenly became Glyph, excited. <laughs> Glyph is the car's equivalent of the uh, of Girl okay. Galane. He is the fist of uh, Denier Vengeance. He's cool. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. He's like there interesting. There is a lot of fancy imagery about fishing and no fish in the <laughs> lake. And oh god, I, I that's all I remember in Fall of Light, right? Narrate has all these dreams and visions. I have of no goddamn clue. I'm telling you right fishing, now, I do not remember. But there are no fish, and then there is no water. And then NSTA walks with him on the shore and, you know, the shore keeps coming up. You know what? I think we should just shut up and go. Yeah, we should probably wrap up. But, uh, yeah, Homie has doubts and his doubts are eventually personified in NSTA. Okay. Oh. This specter, this apparition is telling me about things about I, I shouldn't know about, you know. He, mm-hmm. he was a lover of men once, but those memories are not his own. He, yeah. um, he pledges the deniers, the I, the I don't remember what even they're called at this point. I think oh, we're just gonna use deniers as an umbrella term sure. to her, to an Amanda, to her. But her 
he means is Anestia, but the her and Amanda understand it's Mother Dark, right? Oh, okay. And there's that conflict of who are we siding with? Are we siding with a guy who, like, you know, who in the name of the goddess we're persecuted and we don't believe in her, or are we siding with Anestia, who no one else can see except for Narad? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, like, Finara Stone becomes Twilight, and then it's a whole bunch of tricky bullshit I don't remember nor understand. Totally, so we'll we, we figured out the whole thing when we, when we read it, yeah. Um, and Narad could be, oh, god damn it, sorry. And Narad could be Edgewalker, but I don't really subscribe to that theory, so we're going to leave that can of worms unopened, <laughs> set aside for, like, a, mo- a year from now or so, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, so, in these chapters, um... Boy, he is tough, right? He's hard. Rather, he's not hard. That's the problem. Oh because, God, you know, no. Yeah, no. He gets the right. He gets a lot of derision for that. Um, it's obviously, it's just... like it's like a bit taboo. But am I looking too deep into this? Maybe I am. But go on, spit it out. Yeah. What is it? No, it's like it's like not even him not getting like hard, but being derived for like he's getting. He's gets him like he gets like waft or something, right? He can't get it because on for shit. He shits his pants, yeah. He shits his pants. He's like a dick is gets like really shrunk because the water is cold and he can't get yeah, it on. Yeah. It's an old Seinfeld joke. I don't know. It's not. It's such a big. But thing. um, his doubts, like you know how an Amanda's defiance is personified, like Narad, like understands. He knows that what he's doing is wrong, but he can't articulate it. He can't say it out loud. Just like Mandy can say, "Good mother," I'm like, "No, I'm not doing this for she, for you." I'm like, "You're not my mother." <laughs> I guess he does say that eventually, but he still acts right. And so does Naren. And they go about things very differently, but at the core is the same thing. They have doubts, both of them, about the things they're doing for different reasons. Uh, Naren understands what he's doing is wrong, and that's why he pleads forgiveness. Whether forgiveness is coming is. Um, I'm fairly sure Steve said that, like Narad is meant to be this um, character he toys around with on the notion of redemption because like for him redemption will never come or some stuff. That's what he said. That's what I remember hearing. That's what I've been told. I don't remember enough to make a comment on this, but the most important thing I think for Narad in the chapter particularly is the notion of the death of beauty because in this chapter with Kadaspala, in chapter 9 with Mother Dark, in with Narad, etc., we have had a lot of talk about beauty, right? Beauty, love, how does one paint love? Yeah. And the symbolism I want to talk about a bit here is that essentially this is Galan bitching, okay? I'm going to put it bluntly. This is Galan bitching. <laughs> because in war, in such act, in such brutal atrocities, the first people who are killed, the first casualties of the war, are beauty, art, mm-hmm. artists, sculptists, painters, sculptors. historians, poets. I don't know. I don't know the word. Sculptors. People who make sculptures. Sculptors. Sure. Whatever. People who make sculptures. <laughs> the, the masons. Yes, yes, whatever. Yes, correct. Yes. I guess that's <laughs> Um Yeah, these individuals are like the first casualties of war. Um, and in war, as Rancid told us, and as we saw here, they have to be treated differently. People are dehumanized, or I guess de- dehumanized. I'm not going to use like the diced derivative of that word. What what is the de-diced? Oh, you know, like, de-diced <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to make the word up now. Just, I have the train of thought. I need to continue. Um, and this is his way to rail against that. That you know, beauty died in his arms. That Galaspola walks in. To what he has deified, right? Because beauty, <laughs> Anesia's beauty, 
is something transcendental for him, and he sees it dead. He sees in her dark, dead eyes of, holy shit, reality is erased for me. I need, I can't go on. Like, he tries to paint the whole thing, his fingers twitching, but all his fingers do is just rip his own eyes out. And in that sense, the death of Anesti is Kadaspala's failure. It's the culmination of Kadaspala's arc through, and his reaction to it is failure. Grison points this out next chapter, but we'll get to that in the next chapter. But um, what fascinates me about this, particularly in regards to Gadaspala, is how in chapter 13, in the beginning, he says that like he will, you know, give this uh, picture of the dead denier child to anyone who says that, you know, you're going to bring justice or peace or change or whatever by the use of violence. And violence. here, he simply turns his back on that. You know, in darkness, there is peace. We can go on with our way. We can get do things. things. We can get things done. We can get on with things. He embraces darkness. He does not fight it. <clears throat> and there is so much fucking more to say on this, but it is not pertinent to this chapter right now. So I'm going to save it for a later date. But obviously, <laughs> it's going to track back to Dracones and Mother Dark and how people treat them. But we'll save that because that's a long discussion for later. Um, God, is there anything more that we can talk so about I in this chapter? I, I wanted to add something more about like the classism. Yeah, please, in please do. It's because we come from Book of the Fallen and that word mm-hmm. is, you know, sort of egalitarian at least you know there are few exceptions there is like the daru and some of the bargas are not not nice people and but leathery. overall also the structure everything we are not not extremely patriarchal or anything but you know the, the economic inequality but the taste is like the things which we see you know it's, it's much more obvious i feel like it, it's classism which is just ingrained there's no hopes at all and it's all like it's a, it's a single people right it's not even like the leathery Edo capturing them as slaves or anything like that. The Teplor beings uh, enslaved by these other this other race or nothing like that. It's just ties against ties. So you are lesser house, I am greater house. You are denier because you live in the forest. It's like that. And are the denier the same race? Are, you, are we sure about that? Because we hear that their skin is the color of whatever ground they are squatting on and their eyes are the color of streams and bogs. Are the ties people have a different eye color and skin color and all? I don't know. Do we know? They're definitely diced. They just don't. They, they have... Um, they've isolated themselves from a gene pool, so to speak. Ah, so maybe. Because yeah. like, because Ransom says that they have Dogger on her blood. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, So yeah. Because they live in the forest and away from the other diced, the civilized diced, the, uh, the believers. City, city, know, right, yeah. The city dwellers, they have isolated themselves from a gene pool and they've diverged away from them after years of not mixing with one another. So that's probably... That's my so, take on yeah. it. I don't know. Maybe they're different. No, maybe, yeah, that's what they're not pure blood or anything, and so that's why they're called. They're not even ticed, so we're justified in killing them. God damn it, go on. Sorry, sorry, sorry. So, yeah, anyway, that's but it's, it's, you know, it's quite jarring, and the same way Book of the Fallen doesn't like spell it out to you that everybody is, at least in the main Malazan places, everybody is equal, and everything is, you know, anyone can join the army, anyone can do, can topple an empire and become the empress. All this can happen. Whereas in Karkaras, it's again, you know, not spelt out, but it's all there, right? Arranged marriages exist, political marriages exist, people are slut-shamed, bastards are not accepted, all those things. It's not spelt out, but you know, it's as you read, you sort of start realizing that. I wish we, I had known all these things before my first read. <laughs> I wish I had known, I, you know, I, have, yeah. I wish I had not thought about Malazan when I was reading this, because I was expecting a sort of society like that here. And it's it's the opposite. It's there the is a very 
romanticized um, notion of a taste, especially the Andy in the Book of the oh. Fallen, from a yeah. religious perspective, because we like Anamander. Because Anamander's cool, he turns into a dragon, has a cool fuck off sword, he's compassion, and all of that shit. No, not here. Oh, I think I think you missed out his biggest selling point in Book of the Fallen. Is it that he likes a dragon? No, no. Is it his big sword? Is that it? No. No. But it's something it you hair? never. You no no no. It's something else. You you never stop bringing up that. Oh, he bangs a dragon. He has a dragon gal- girlfriend and stuff. Mm-hmm. That yeah. So you know we have because of an Amanda, we have a very romanticized notion of the dice. But one thing I want to touch upon before we you know move on is since we've been reading Call the Hound, we at some point generously okay we, okay since the sub has been doing a read along on Call the Hound. <laughs> Um, there is a quote from Spinnock about how the Andy would always like sacrifice themselves and for others and take on their burdens, but not allow others to do the same. And in the Book of the Fallen, that's vaguely treated as a good thing. And then Galagos no, like, "No, no, none of that is good. Stop that." No, I thought the interpretation in Book of the Fallen was that because they don't have a god and they don't have any like goal in life, all they do is help people. That's why I saw it. Why do you think it's a bad thing? Okay, so the context is like um, Spinnock being hopelessly in love and hopelessly drunk, speaking with uh, Sir Darwin, who's hopelessly drunk and hopelessly mad. Um, and basically, Spinnock brings up Itkovian and says, like, okay, maybe I wonder if we came first. It's like, no, no, we didn't. No. What Itkovian did wasn't necessarily like a good thing. It wasn't like, necessarily the right thing. It's just... You know, he didn't think about it. He didn't like give it much thought. Yeah, he's nimble, which is incredibly courageous and incredibly like good. But it's not a way to run a faith. It's not a way to run a society, a place, anything. Take from him the good things, not all the things, and stop like pushing yourself to make greater acts of compassion because that's 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 the road to self destruction. As it Govian showed, there is a price. It's his own life. That's what, like, the Redeemer is trying to rectify here. But no, actually, compassion isn't entirely priceless. It's not just uh, only be given abundance. I think we should differentiate between compassion and redemption. Because... Oh, for sure. But, I mean, yeah. think on the irony of him saying compassion is priceless and then dying because he gave away too much compassion. That's, I think, what Steve was trying to rectify in Total Hound. But I'm getting off track. What I mean is that romanticized notion that Kamen Sod is trying to push on you because he basically benefited the most from it and exalted <laughs> it as a virtue. Yeah. Galan does not share. Galan doesn't care. Galan doesn't think it's a good thing. Hunral? I'm not going to show compassion to fucking Hunral or Feyen or the Legion soldiers that killed these people. No, fuck them. Like, yeah. these people are not deserving of compassion because they're awful. All of them. Sagander is awful. Hilith is awful. A lot of the Thais are awful. And giving them boundless compassion is only going to lead to further ruin because no one is affecting change adequately because taking up arms and saying oh the poor deniers i'm going to be the one that saves them because it's the right thing to no no make yourselves better first by making yourself better you are going to influence in their society by being a white knight on shining with shining armor on a horse or a gelding because it's so sick um uh being like a white knight on a horse, like riding to a damsel in distress. No, that's not going to fix the deniers. That's not going to improve their situation. Being compassionate is not, does not fix shit. It's action that you need, but adequate action and not swords and a mander. 
you have and yeah. No, I don't actually. Um, <laughs> and so, and uh, so to to end that rant, we came into Coral Glen Caracanas with a very romanticized view of the dice that Galan systematically tears down before you, and sometimes I can leave you a bit alienated because I thought this was a good thing. No, no, this is Galan, <laughs> buddy. You don't get such things. So, yeah. and okay, Narad is thing. another way to put us Caraspala. When does he mm-hmm. turn Andy? Does he turn Andy? Does he beat Mother? Great Dark? question. I don't think so. I don't think he turns Andy in this book. Not in this book. So in Fall of Light? I don't know. Like, he doesn't appear in Fall of Light, I don't think. See? But in Till the Hounds, it's very clear that it's an Andy with mm-hmm. no eyes. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I've been wondering, like, when did he turn Andy? So anyway, maybe her power just took everyone. Except Silkas Ruin. Except Ruin. We, we already know it's an enzyme deficiency, so... Right. Even Mother Dark can't but, um, produce enzymes. I guess not. Okay, well, we've gone on for about an hour now, and I think we need to wrap up. because. Sure. Yeah, so. Uh, but before we do, do you have anything else to add? Like, anything from the chapter that impressed you, or any quotes you have to add, or anything like that? I didn't come prepared for all these things. I, I have quotes, but I didn't note them down. I'm not open my tablet. Keep talking. I'll open it now. So, you know, my um, I brought up earlier that Ivis just like philosophizes on metaphysics and the you know, the tyranny of its continuous mind and how Kadaspola solves the problem of evil by concluding that like, God is mad. And it's how those little things like the meat of Krakanus and just so fucking impressive to me. And then more I went on to bring up how like they have denier clothing and they leave the bodies there to have plausible deniability because the Legion would never do such things because the Legion is professional. There are no rapes, no torture, none of that. Yeah. This is all denier shit. They wouldn't do that. And Except that's when for, they you know, the when... bodies. Yep. They yeah, need yeah, to be the yeah. bodies right there, yeah. Except for, you know, when, um, who was it, like, uh, I think it was Finara? No. Yes? No? Yeah. Yeah. With Finara, that brings up that, like, during the darker days of the Legion, they had uh, discovered the effects of torture. So maybe, maybe the Legions do torture people. But the way Reese tells about torture, so maybe it's just, you know. Okay, Reese is obviously bantering, right? Like, okay, but. Poor Reese. He had and, one bad joke and nobody laughed at it, and then he died. Poor fellow. Poor guy. Yeah. Uh, nobody remembers the uh, what do you call the low class people. It sucks. Mm. I think even Galan is a classist. Do you dispute this? <laughs> Ooh, actually, um, <laughs> what? Don't know. Don't know. He can't be. I mean, he's <laughs> written all these whole big stories to to take a stand against. Classism. I don't think we can call him a. Oh, all my notes are with chapter fifteen. So right mm-hmm. now, it's just no. So why? I um. Yeah. I think it depends on how you how you view things because my personal biases towards this one way or the other color my perception of what Galan is saying. But unlike you someone like Amonstar, I really don't yeah? have notes for chapter fourteen in my Kindle lab. Not no. No worries. I've been so caught up in the story and trying to like focus on not crying too much I have not taken notes I just read it, summarize it and finished it yeah yeah so to conclude then is Galan a classist we already said that Kadafla is woke but is Galan a classist <laughs> important question I so, think he is he's unaware I think it depends on your interpretation and personal biases because on some level someone like Kaminsod would probably 
um, decry and detest the vengeance that comes from the deniers later. When the deniers take up arms and start killing Legion soldiers and like taking their scalps and shit. Bad things happen to Gorilla Galane, but Galan doesn't seem to take a stance on the issue. Yeah. Nor is he particularly pro or anti highborn. Uh, a lot of his heroes, shall we say, aren't actually highborn. Like you have Bandy, who's just a bit of an idiot. <laughs> he's just a bit of a he throws tantrums. He uh he's a bit of a man child. <laughs> but others like Renek, right, who are much more geared towards not denial child. Yeah. So don't you feel it's a little uh, in unbalanced, like it's not in proper proportion? Because Book of the Fallen had much more weightage to the the people on the ground as opposed mm-hmm. to like the higher ups. Here mm-hmm. it's the other way, right? For every high bond, I mean every three high bond you have like one low bond who has a POV. That's what I think. And if that's true, then you know, you can call Galan a classist. Mm. Can we add this question in the episode description that do you think Galan is do you think blind Galan is sure. Sure. not blind about classes? Ooh, okay then okay so the last <laughs> thing i want to add since we're talking about classism i'm gonna close the episode this way sure. is there is this very intense desire for people to be nobles to the point where someone like the commoner's hero like bathauer sander is being propped up as a nobleborn you know yeah, Ronald yeah. in chapter two has like spread propaganda that the bath house would always own Eretzor, and he's like clearly a highborn because this yeah. is just how the society functions Fuck this place. So, <laughs> on those See happy that. notions of uh, Kadaspala being woke, Galan possibly being classist, and Kurelli really being awful. Yeah, yeah. I think we can close here. Sure. So, good night. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your time, Lee. Thank you, Amara. We'll see you next time. Good night. Oh, yeah. Next time is Catharsis. Don't miss chapter 15. Next, yeah, next time is awesome. Like, actually good. I don't like the depressing that this, that this is. It's still depressing, so, yeah, but okay. it's cathartic. Bye 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 bye.